This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, the Denver Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals. The optimist of the Rockies' bullpen, Brent Suter, tells Drew why he was thrilled to join the Rockies. As soon as I heard it was the Rockies, I was like grateful that they wanted me and then uh, they picked me up. But I was also like, I I think I can really help this team on and off the field. I can be uh, an energy giver, uh, help build into these young guys. We got young studs all over the place. I, I really like this group a lot. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. James comes out of the pack. James on the drive, goes inside, stop, shot blocked, gets it back. It's over. It's over. Denver makes history. The Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. It is almost hard to believe, but the Denver Nuggets are indeed going to the NBA Finals. Played more than 50 seasons in the NBA. And you know what? They've been to the postseason 29 times, but in none of those 29 times prior Were they able to advance out of the Western Conference? So congrats, congrats, congrats to all of those long-suffering Nugget fans as they're going to get to watch their team play for an NBA championship. And you know what? I love their chances of winning it all. Welcome in to show number 203 on our little podcast. Glad as always to have you along with us. Man, I was so excited for the Nuggets, as were all of you, um, for not only getting to the NBA Finals, but in how they did it and who they beat. Because it's easy to dislike the Los Angeles Lakers. There's an arrogance with certain teams out there that is very easy to read, shall we say. It's tangible. The Dodgers have that arrogance. The Yankees have that arrogance. The Lakers have that arrogance. And I'm not speaking just from, you know, what I hear, what I've read. It's pretty clear. When you work in the media business, the sports media business, and you interact and it's been a while that since I've interacted, in full disclosure, with the Lakers. But I go back to when I was doing the games for 10 years between 94 and 04 and doing their pregame show prior to that. Uh, just how the Lakers were, not everyone in the organization, but how many were in the organization in comparison to other teams. So to see the Nuggets sweep the Lakers amid, obviously, all of the conversations surrounding just the Lakers. And I told you last week, and it was obvious, that this series would be covered almost exclusively from the perspective of the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James. And whatever the Nuggets did would be an afterthought and almost dismissed. And that's how it was covered. And you knew it going in. And you can understand it slightly because they're the Lakers and they have 17 banners and all that. And great respect for all they've accomplished. And maybe some of this is born out of fan jealousy that they've always operated at a different level. But believe me, it was nice not only to see the the Nuggets dispatch of the Lakers. Now I was wrong. I thought it was going to be a deep series. I thought it was going to be around a six-game series. Um, 
maybe seven, even with the Nuggets having to win on their home floor in game seven. Didn't come to that. They uh, took care of business in every game. They were clearly without question, despite what narratives (laughs) some of these national uh, folks want to uh, throw out there. They were the better team. They were the far better team, in fact. There's so many things uh, that that came to mind in the aftermath of that victory. And I'll I'll tell you some stories and and give you some information. Um, First of all, do you know that the Nuggets are over 500 all time? I think they are seven games over 500 in their time in the NBA. And they're even more over 500 if you include their time way back in the ABA. I would not have guessed that until I looked it up. Because there were a lot of dark years. Unfortunately, I I did a lot of those dark years. My first year doing the Nuggets play-by-play on television uh, was 1994. And the Nuggets made the playoffs that year. I believe they made the playoffs with a 41-41 and record. And then fast forward 10 years because... The ensuing eight years after that first year, they did not make the playoffs. And in the 10th year, my final year doing the Nuggets, they went 42 and 40 in Carmelo Anthony's rookie year and made the playoffs. In between, there was a mess of losses. I looked this up also because I was interested. So how many coaches were there? Well, Dan Issel, twice. Bernie Bickerstaff, twice, Gene Littles, Dick Mata, my neighbor Bill Hanslick, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Evans, Jeff Bizdelic. So that is, well, if we count Issel twice and Bickerstaff twice, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten coaches. Ten coaches in ten years. Boy, that's a solid organization. I mean, it was it was a joke. And I remember bits and pieces about a lot of these guys and a lot of things. And, and, and it had nothing to do with the coaches. They, they just didn't have a, enough talent. Um, you know, Dan Issel also was the GM. Bernie Bickerstaff was the GM. They had every title at one point. Now I'm looking at this list and saying, how many of these guys were my broadcast partner? Issel was. Gene Littles was. Hanslick was. Mike Evans was, not to mention the slew of other guys that uh, I had the pleasure of sitting with, and they had the um, <laughs> honor, just like me, of calling some bad basketball through the years. You know what else came to mind? The 97-98 season, of which the Nuggets flirted with having the worst record of all time, and they finished 11-71. and Sorry to my buddy Bill Hanslick for bringing this up. But uh, several years ago... I was clearing out some stuff out of old boxes, and I keep all my boards, my basketball boards. I have all my baseball books. I have all my spotting boards from from NFL and college football games. Uh, I'm a saver, and and it's fun every once in a while when you come across one of the one of those items to look back. Go, oh man, this was RG three playing for Baylor against you know Colorado back eons ago. Well, I came across a board. The Nuggets were taking on the Seattle Sonics of George Carl, 
in that 97-98 season. And the Nuggets were, I'm reading the board, were 5-49 and 49 at that point. And in Seattle, they ended up winning 61 games, so they had some fabulous record. So I'm thinking to myself, what was the open like that night? When you, you come on the air and you want to have energy, and you got to be honest, too, but you want to present you know, some reasons to stick around and watch. Welcome to Key Arena, where tonight the 5-49 and 49 Denver Nuggets will be taking on the 48 and 18 Seattle Sonics. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I had to utter those words. The Nuggets that year started 0 12, 2 and 31. Think about that for a second. 2 and 31. They were 5 and 58 until, <laughs> and this is pretty wild. They picked up Corey Alexander off of waivers, I believe, from San Antonio. Corey Alexander was out of Virginia. And for about a month, he had the best stretch of his NBA career. He shot it that year with the Nuggets, 41% plus from three-point range over the 23 games. Averaged 14 points a game. I know it's not world-beating stuff, but it was enough to help the Nuggets finish that season 6-12. and 12. 6-12, and 12, and avoid the 76ers mark of only nine wins way back. I think it was under Fred Carter. And the Nuggets won 11 games, lost 71 that year. I'm sorry, I had to recount that. But it gives you a little perspective on how far the Nuggets have come. And there were some dark years and some lean years uh, in there. And now you have the Nuggets going to the NBA Finals, man. Um, awesome stuff. They win uh, game fours, you know, 113-111. Jokic had the key basket, barreled his way to the hoop uh, to make it 113-111. And then the double team on LeBron, who was, you know, he had the great first half, 31 points, ends up with nine in the second half, 40 points. You can always tip your cap to LeBron. His shot was blocked late. Thank God. I mean, thank God the officials didn't send him to the line because we all fully expected that. The, the Lakers shot more free throws than the Nuggets by wide margin. You knew that going in. Uh, but the Nuggets, they won. And they won after being down by 15 in the first half. They won because Jokic is the best player in the world. Because Jokic, as I've said now a couple of times, and you know this to be true, never has a bad game. He never has a subpar game. He has unbelievable games. He has excellent games, and and on his off days, if there is such a thing, he has very good games. There's no four for 15 nights. There's no five for 19. There's no games where he only handed out four assists and had six rebounds, and you're like, wow, he was invisible. It just doesn't happen. He's remarkable, and people are starting to find that out. And I, I, I will, I'm going to go somewhere that I almost never go because doing what we do as broadcasters, I've always said that when you are sitting on your couch, it's always easier to do anything than the person who's actually doing it. 
So having lived this for professionally for 37 years, I know it's not easy to ad lib uh, in the course of a two and a half hour basketball game or three plus hour baseball game or three plus hour football game. Not everything's going to come out as eloquently as you'd like. The one thing, and I preach this to kids I coach, the one thing in life that you should do is control the controllables. And one of the controllables as a broadcaster is your preparation. Be prepared for the assignment at hand. So Mark Jackson, and this has been spoken about quite a bit now in the last week or two, did not have Jokic as one of his five MVP finalists. Uh, He didn't vote for him. That's fine. He didn't have to vote for him. He could have voted, as many did, for Joel Embiid, who ended up winning the MVP, who's sitting home and watching uh, everyone else that's left playing basketball right now, namely Jokic. Um, he could have voted for Giannis. And, and, he, and any of those three was fair. To not have him on the ballot and then just come out and say, I didn't realize, my bad, I, I was voting by position like he was voting for an all-star team. I vote for various awards. Sometimes they're monthly awards, sometimes they're annual awards. I sure as shit know what I'm voting for. I mean, (laughs) it says at the top of the sheet, hey, you are voting for uh, National League Player of the Week, National League Pitcher of the Week, or Month, National League Rookie of the Month, or maybe it's an annual award, the Hank Aaron, you know, Offensive Player of the Year Award. Whatever it is, you know what you're voting for. Pretty simple. So that was awful. Then, to somebody from afar that I've respected her work for a number of years, do not know Lisa Salters. But Lisa Salters, when being interviewed upon going to Denver to cover the round against the Lakers, the Western Conference Finals, she was quoted as saying, this is really the first time I've had a chance to see him play in reference to Jokic. And I've got to admit... I've been sleeping on this guy. And she went on to say, you know, he's fantastic and fabulous. And she texted some of her friends that and and her friends responded by saying, we've been telling you that. Well, again, I go to preparation. First of all, if I was Lisa Salters, I wouldn't admit that I've been, you know, kind of unaware and hadn't really seen the two-time and nearly three-time MVP play. That's reprehensible. You are... Working in the NBA, there are only four teams left. You are preparing to go provide coverage of one of those teams, or actually two of those teams, and you are not overly familiar, have not watched tape, have not seen games on television, if not live in the past, of the guy that has been the MVP twice and nearly a third time? Come on. That's just that's just doing your homework. I mean, it, it, the Angels are going to be here later this year. It would be as if I said, yeah, you know, I've never really studied Mike Trout I, because, you know, they're in the other league. The Rockies don't play the Angels very frequently. 
And yeah, I've heard that, you know, he's a pretty good player, but man, watching him, really powerful. And boy, he's fast too. And that guy, Otani, who DHs and, and he, he pitches every fifth day, I didn't realize. I mean, he, now watching him, I see what some of the fuss is about. Do your homework. And I rarely go there. I rarely go there with, with you know, colleagues, with, with people who are in the business, because I know that, you know, I've screwed up things, will screw up things. But I hope it's not out of lack of preparation ever, because I can control that. So, you know, the whole the whole narrative out there about the, the Nuggets not getting respect, it's legitimate. They, they didn't get national respect. They won't get national respect whether, you know, it's Miami or Boston, you know, comes back, you know, from being three nothing down. They won last night. Um, and, and I sometimes get tired of that narrative. Oh, no one respects us. It's us against the world. But in this particular case, it is pretty accurate. Nobody is giving much respect or much ink to steal a, a phrase from the past, a word from the past, to the Denver Nuggets. And you know what? That'll just add fuel uh, to their fire. So uh, ultimately, it'll work out. But it was overall thrilling to see, man. It was just thrilling to see the Nuggets uh, get to the NBA Finals. And I expect them, as do you, to be the last one standing. I expect another parade here in a few weeks. Um, I really do believe that. Um, speaking of, I, I can't get off this no respect thing. I, I got one more to go. Yeah, uh, Kendrick Perkins. Um, <laughs> this maybe symbolizes the lack of respect um, more than anything else. More, more than Lisa Salter saying she wasn't you know, overly familiar with Jokic, maybe Mark Jackson, even leaving him off as top five uh, MVP uh, candidates. Perkins leading into the playoffs. The Lakers are going to the NBA Finals. When you look at the Western Conference and you look at if they potentially match up with the Memphis Grizzlies, they're going to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. They could beat any team in the West, including the Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. So when I look at them and what they've been doing over the last two months, I had them going to the NBA Finals. Talking about the strength of the Lakers and the depth of the Lakers and that he sees them as more talented than he, he went in order, right? The Suns, or excuse me, he went Memphis, he went KD and the Suns, he went Steph Curry and Golden State. At no point did he mention the one seed in the Western Conference, the Nuggets. Um, so, again, more fuel for the Nuggets. And um, I'm not worried about the rest period, by the way. I know that's been a subject. Uh, you know, some analogies when the Rockies had to sit out nine days and then play Boston in the World Series in 07, and they lost all of their mo momentum. Uh, I don't I don't buy that. Uh, if you think back to game one against Minnesota, the Nuggets have been off for a while, and they blew out Minnesota in game one, played a fantastic game. That's not an issue. That's contrived. They'll be just fine. They'll be just fine. All right, to baseball, your Colorado Rockies were down in Texas, down in Arlington last weekend, and don't sleep on the Rangers. They're the highest-scoring team in baseball. They blew out the Rockies in a three-game set, 31-10. to As we uh, tape this on a Wednesday morning, Rockies have bounced back, won a couple ball games against Miami. Uh, you know, the Rockies hanging in there. Um, they're 
struggling with starting pitching because of injuries and lack of uh, immediate depth. So they're you know running some guys out there uh, that are getting an opportunity, uh, but they're they're kind of hanging in there. They're like so many teams in Major League Baseball, they fall somewhere in the category of you know lower mediocre and we'll see how it all plays out over the season there's there's not much in terms of expectations i've said this many many times they're in transition and you don't have to be embarrassed to say that they're in transition they have some young talent that has already arrived in tovar doyle and they have more young talent coming they may be a year or so away and then you know, a couple of years from now, you go, okay, can it all marry together where you can become a contending team? So in the interim, we talk about some of the positives. We talk about some of the development of, of other players. And uh, we can uh, mention this week the bullpen since Brent Suter is joining us this week. And he's a fascinating guy. That bullpen on the plus side has been as good as just about any bullpen in baseball. And that's not hyperbole. Suter's been lights out. He has a sub-1 ERA. Justin Lawrence has been lights out. Jay Bird, who's been busier than any guy uh, coming out of a bullpen. It seems like he always works uh, two innings. He's been tremendous. Brad Hand has been very solid. Pierce Johnson, 10 for 10 in save opportunities. I know he's dealt with a little bit of traffic, uh, but Pierce has been, by and large, very solid. Daniel Bard working his way back in. Uh, Buddy has um, uh, correctly picked his spots to utilize Daniel Bard coming off uh, the injured list, dealing with anxiety. And um, he's pitched pretty well in the opportunities that uh, have been provided. So that uh, that bullpen's been really good. Big shout out, by the way, to Elias Diaz. I don't know if there's a catcher playing better than Elias both ways in the sport this year. He's played at an all-star level. He's one of the leading hitters in all of baseball. He's also been one of the busiest catchers in all of baseball. I think uh, JT Romuto and Kaber Ruiz of Washington, Romuto, of course, with Philadelphia, are the only two catchers who've caught more innings. He leads baseball in throwing runners out. And, um, you know, his batting average is elite. He's been great. And, he, and he's even well over 400 with runners in scoring position. So really happy for him because he plays with such great energy. So he's got a big smile on his face. Um, so there's been a couple of positives I wanted to mention this week. I was really excited to sit down with Brent Suter. Admired him from, from afar. You always, um, I think, are intrigued by whether it be baseball, the NFL, or basketball. Uh, or, or hockey, for that matter, the guy that played at an Ivy League school. You're, you're always like, okay, what's this guy all about? How smart is this guy? What did he study? How interesting is this guy? Well, in the case of Brent Suter, he is super smart, and he is super interesting, and he is super upbeat, and I think you're really going to uh, enjoy getting to know Brent Suter, the former Milwaukee Brewer, who's having a great first year in a Rockies uniform. You're going you're gonna to really enjoy getting to know him a little bit more. So here he is, Brent Suter out of Harvard. You strike me, as I've gotten to know you a little bit, as one of those people that, and this is a great quality, that never seems to have a bad day. Is that, is that fair? It is. 
I would say I have a lot more good days and bad days, but still have some bad days in there. Uh, and, you know, still we're all human. So we all mess up. We all have bad days, have, you know, stuff, tough breaks happen to us, but it's a matter of, uh, you know, I look at it as first of all, going into life with gratitude as the number one, like kind of perspective of the day. And then trying to have a resilience about me. So trying to, if stuff happens, getting off the mat, really focusing on how can I respond to what life throws at me? Cause obviously in baseball and life stuff gets thrown at you all the time that you don't, having your ideal plan but it's about getting off the mat was that a learned attribute or or do you think it's innate for you uh certainly with my parents upbringing uh and my dad you know always working hard always you know being tough resilient he was a college athlete my mom was a college athlete so certainly through athletics they were able to show me as an example and kind of guide me through resilience um had a ton of failure going up had a ton of times where i was riding the bench or you know had a bad game messed up in the game they were just always encouraging and saying, hey, it's, it's about how you respond. Tomorrow's a new day, all that stuff. Um, so they were great examples for sure. Um, have a strong faith life. So the story, you know, being Christian and really, you know, having that be a big part of my life was, it was big too. Uh, and then with my wife, uh, she's been nothing but supportive and incredible. And my, my boys now are just huge, you know, rocks for me and huge, uh, you know, inspirations for me to keep keep plugging away keep uh, being resilient being uh trying to be a good man for them and and for the example for them what did your dad specifically tell you about his athletic career playing at penn state playing for a legendary figure uh, or, or was that really not part of the conversation growing up oh no i we always talked about you know talked uh i actually probably brought it up more than he did uh kind of asking like hey what was practices like you know and it was like it was tough you know i mean we would guys would have their fingers smushed up, you know, finger on the ground. We just moved practice down, you know, and, and it was like same way at Moeller High School with Jerry Faust. Like it was like tough, hard nose, but he, the coach, both Jerry Faust and Joe Paterno, there was a love there that was, you know, you could feel it. Uh, it was tough, tough love, but there was a care about their players that was really important, impactful for him and uh, probably translated into his fatherhood. You know, I mean, he was you know, not, it wasn't tough love necessarily. It was always, you know, very good, gentle um, encouragement. Uh, sometimes a little stern, but there was always, you could feel the love there and the care about uh, me and my brother as we were growing up. Was there a push at all to play football because of your dad? Actually, quite the opposite. Uh, I played sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Was not good. You know, I mean, I, it wasn't, it was a sport that I liked. I didn't love, I didn't fall in love with it. Um, and I probably set a career low of quarterback rating for FAVC middle school football <laughs> as a quarterback. Uh, you know, I was, it was bad. I was bad. But, uh, and so. By the way, that had to be a pretty good middle school if they even kept such stats. But continue. <laughs> Just in my head. It's in my head. But uh, anyway, so uh, I remember coming to him summer before freshman year of high school, you know, going to Moeller. And I was like, Dad, I. I don't think I want to play football. Like, I, it's just not something I love. I love basketball. I love baseball. I like football. I know that Moeller's really demanding for their sports in the off seasons, and I, I don't know if it's a great idea for me to play football. It would just be for like the social part of it. He's like, I agree. I think you should play basketball, and baseball. So it was always kind of up to me, and he was totally supportive of me just playing basketball, and baseball. Yeah. What sport was mom's? Uh, swimming. She okay. was a swimmer. Yeah, she uh, really good swimmer. High school and uh, in college, and swam all four years at Penn State. Tough. Also a tough sport. I mean, yeah. she talked about some of the grind she had to you know, with the practices at 4 a.m. and swimming how many, ever many hundred laps in the morning and then doing it again in the afternoon. It's just like crazy grind. I've always been fascinated um, by the evolution of athletes to get to the highest level. And, yeah. um, you know, I have three boys and I played college baseball and and 
there's a different path for every kid that was a you know first round pick like a Mike Mustakis who was identified early second pick in the draft yep. there's guys like yourself and I, I know you told me a little bit about high school and, and where you were looking or, or who was looking at you or many who were not so right. take take us through a little bit about your the high school process yeah uh slow recruiting process for sure i didn't really play much my junior year which is a big platform year for recruits um the class ahead of me both in basketball and baseball were loaded so i was riding the pine in both basketball and baseball get them out um had a really fun junior year. we won state in basketball great celebration time two days later it was the opening day of baseball and i was way behind you know so i was definitely behind the eight ball when it came to baseball season but um, had to kind of wait my turn. Uh, kind of all things came together late senior fall when I sent some emails to some Ivy League coaches. They responded back with, you know, hey, we like the video, blah, blah, blah. We're going to send some scouts down to Florida to watch you play. And I pitched well down there. It was crazy. It was like three weeks later I had a, a likely letter or like a, an official visit scheduled at Harvard, uh, whereas before I had no Division One offers or very little interest, like kind of lukewarm interest from Big Ten schools. But uh, kind of got that going. A couple weeks later, I was kind of in in Harvard, and I was looking at my parents in the living and the kitchen after I got the call. Like, uh, can you guys believe this? <laughs> this is nuts. And uh, so that it was definitely like crazy circumstance, uh, crazy luck, uh, and got got to go there. And it was just a perfect place for me because I got to play right away. Uh, had a lot of a lot of failure, but a lot of a lot of learned experience there. Um, great teammates, great coaches there. Uh, great academic experience, obviously, and so so fun. Such a great place to go to school, but just a perfect place for me to kind of develop. And even come junior year, like I was highly, I was get, starting to get some looks because I had a really good sophomore uh, college uh, collegiate summer ball season, and I just fell flat on my face junior year. I had like a seven year A, was uh, just was getting hit like crazy. Uh, didn't have my command and uh, had to go to the Cape. I got to go to the Cape Cod League that summer and kind of reinvent myself uh, and get kind of a mental routine going, a physical routine going, get my mechanics squared away. Had a better senior year, still not great, but then was able to have some good showcases um, for the randomly the Brewers and Pirates scouts one day in Amherst through the best I've ever thrown in my life. And they were the only two teams to call me on draft day. Brewers picked me up 31st. I like to say 31st overall pick by the Brewers that year, <laughs> but 31st round uh, pick 965. And I just remember getting that call and just being elated. You know, I got it. I got a shot. You know what I mean? And uh, but, you know, fast forward about 10, 11 years later, here, here I am sitting in the big leagues. Can't can't believe it. Was that fuel for you? Where you got selected? You know, it was. Uh, I, it was great. Gratitude was the number one. I, I was grateful to be selected, especially you know after I'd kind of fallen really on my face last year and a half or so um, in, in college. But there was a little bit of like, you know, looking around and seeing all these guys like, oh wow, look at this signing bonus. Look at that, my signing bonus. I'm getting fifteen hundred bucks, you know, as my signing bonus. And I was like, you know what? I think I, can, I think I can play at this level. You know, I, mean, I was looking. Around, I was like, I think I can play with these guys. Um, and then just kept kept working, developed great friendships with the guys. Don't get me wrong, but it was a good, healthy competition, you know, trying to move up. And, uh, and then, yeah, it was a little, little fuel, like, Hey, I, I want to, I want to, I want to make it. Um, I remember telling my area scout when he drafted me, like, Hey, I'm going to, I want to make you proud. I'm going to make you proud. He's like, I know you are. I know you are. So, uh, and I uh, was able to stay healthy, kept my name and kind of the raffle, if you will, for, you know, just performing and moving up to the next level. And just one step at a time was able to get to the big leagues in 2016. Are you more defined by where you went to school or what you've accomplished as a player? Uh, that's a really good question. I try not to define myself by any of that. You know what I mean? I try to, first and foremost, like, I, I want to define myself as a child of God. You know what I mean? Like, my faith is kind of my number one identity, I would say. Like, I'm 
Christian, uh, child of God, uh, husband, father, you know, I mean, all that, all that are are more important identities on the earthly realm to me than a baseball player or Harvard graduate. But certainly uh, with those two, I I would say the baseball is maybe a little bit more special to me because it's, it's harder to get to the big leagues probably than to, the odds are harder, I guess, on both, but uh, you know, to be in the big leagues for parts of you know seven, eight, eight big league seasons now is probably harder to do. Um, so that may make you a little more special. But uh, both are really, really cool things. Really, uh, something to be grateful, grateful for. Yeah, I mean, for for every guy that went to college and ends up in the big leagues, I, I don't know how many reporters come up and, and say, "Hey, so when you were at Clemson, what did you study?" But with someone who went to an Ivy League school or Stanford or that ilk of, you know, academia, right. that that's probably a frequent question and has been for for more than a decade or for you. Yeah. Um, so, what did you study, and, and what do you take away most from the experience away from baseball, uh, being in Cambridge? Yeah. Uh, I studied environmental science and public policy. Um, kind of was on my heart from 2004 on, 2006 on, to have like environmental studies and environmental um, activism and, and awareness be a huge part of my life. Uh, and so I knew I, I, I studied it there, loved the program, loved everything about it. It was a good mix of like renewable energy, social, pol- you know, environmental policy, science, ec- economics, math, like you name it. I was taking it, uh, finished did all the pre-med requirements because I only had to take like one or two extra classes to finish the pre-med requirements in case I wanted to go the medical route. But really was a uh, fascinating you know, field of study, had some great, um, great seminars and all that stuff. So it was really, really cool. The connections I made, the professors I had there, I mean, I was head of the water or UN was one of my professors like here. And then another guy was like, you know, the world bank, you know, yeah. environmental advisor, all that stuff. So, just amazing experience getting to know those people and, and having them as professors and, and be around students as brilliant as the kid, uh, the, as the students up there was amazing. Um, the thing I took away most from Harvard was how incredibly down to earth the vast majority of the student body was. I, I thought going up there, it would be like people drown in the rain left and right, you know, a little snooty patootie uh, kind of thing. It was anything, but there was a, there was a small segment that was like that. You know, you could, you could see that you could read that, try to stay away from those people. Uh, but a vast majority of people were just incredible and human beings, incredibly down to earth, but gifted, like unbelievably gifted at the same time. So that was, that was the coolest part and friends for life from there. Yeah. And, and you are still involved from, uh, a global perspective doing what you can from an environmental yep. uh, standpoint. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't have my own foundation or anything, but I tried to support, give my support to Players for the Planet is a big one. Uh, Eco Athletes is another one I've joined that uh, kind of more education and policy awareness uh, from Eco Athletes. And then uh, trying to do a bunch of different programs. I started like a Strikeout Ways program a couple years ago to get reusable bottles in the uh, stadium and um, in the clubhouse and brew- at the Brewer Stadium. Uh, done some tree planting uh, programs the last several years with the uh, Place for the Planet. It's been really great success throughout the league. Uh, that's been really fun. Tried doing like a carbon offset program several years ago with a guy named Benji Backer who uh, does American Conservation Coalition. He and I have become great friends and we, we do a lot of work together. It was weird though with the carbon offsets, people were really like, you know, it was a little more confusing than planting trees. So we kind of shifted gears and went to the planted trees route. And that's something that everyone can kind of get behind. Like, hey, you're planting trees, putting them in the ground good air good good water all that stuff they look beautiful all that stuff so playing trees is kind of the way to go for uh kind of buy-in programs throughout the league but uh and then i'm trying to do uh 
you know, some I got a tour with the COSA Institute um, for solar panels. Uh, we got a solar tour the, uh, last week that was really fun. Going on another one in July, uh, and trying to get to know and support the, that group and all the, all the awesome stuff they're doing. Uh, so big uh, big supporter of renewable energy um, and big big supporter of trying to limit our waste, limit our energy use, try to find a way to get our society sustainable in the near future um, and try to preserve as much natural space as we can. More with Drew and Rockies reliever Brent Suter right after this. Foyer's Coffee, simply great. The legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. It has been brewed smooth in our area since 1965. They have a national reputation for outstanding coffee, and you can get it delivered right to your door like I do. It comes within a couple of days, just a couple of clicks when you go to boyerscoffee.com. And they have uh, some of the many flavors I'm sure you've heard of. Aspen Gold, Rocky Mountain Thunder. And then they have the special flavors like chocolate mousse, coconut cream. Doesn't matter what time of day, it's going to make you want to have a cup of coffee. As I've told you many times, I'm a K-Cup guy. They have plenty of those as well. If you have not, if you're one of those rare people in our region that has never had Boyer's Coffee, you're missing out. So go now to boyerscoffee.com and order up uh, some of your favorite flavors and uh, some perhaps that you have not tried yet. You'll be a believer very quickly. Again, it's boyerscoffee.com. Jump on in. They've been brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. Simply outstanding. Speaking of simply outstanding, how about my friends at Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. The number of products that they have that can help you out is amazing. Okay, let me give you an idea why they're the best in the business. They have chainsaws. They have hedge trimmers. They have pole pruners. Yeah, how many times do you you try to get a branch down or, or, or prune something way over your head? You don't want to take out a ladder. That could be too dangerous. They have pole pruners. They have gardening tools, forestry tools, cutoff machines, concrete cutters if you want to get really ambitious. If it comes to mowing and planting, they have trimmers, lawnmowers, zero-turn mowers, everything that can help you in that regard, edgers. And when it comes to cleaning up, I got to do it to my garage uh, this week, in fact. They have blowers. They have pressure washers. You get the picture. They have everything, absolutely everything. And they have more than 10,000 dealers around the country. So uh, they like to say there's one right around the corner from you. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. Now back to Drew and Brent Suter. Going to segue to baseball for a moment. Yeah. Um, I would assume the greatest moment of your career, and you, there's been some wonderful moments, was uh, taking Corey Kluber deep, right? Had to be. <laughs> that was that's up there. Uh, that whole game was just crazy. You know, it was, uh, something I like to ask the rookies are what is what's your favorite baseball moment? You know, what I mean that. Yeah. And personally, that's probably my favorite baseball moment. I came in in the first inning. Wade Miley, uh, who was starting for us at the time, got hurt. I just gotten removed from the starting rotation for Wade. Uh, so I was built up. So I went in the first inning, was able to get through five innings uh, and made some good plays in the field and then hit that home run. And we ended up winning the game by one. So I uh, kind of kind of felt like it was a really fun, fun game uh, personally. And uh, yeah, the just first pitch of the inning ball just hit. You know, you're not supposed to swing at the first pitch of the inning as a pitcher. You know, it kind of might be a first pitch out, bad, bad luck. But I swung. I saw it up, swung at it and then went out. Uh, couldn't believe it. Kept carrying. I was like, ah. 
might be a double off the warning track and it kept going and going and soon enough it was off the batter's eye so it was it was and i didn't really hit that many home runs in bp either so it was kind of a one in a thousand chance <laughs> if i remember reading this correctly it was 466 feet does that uh, sound right i think it was like 430 max you know what i mean it was like i think it was in the range of 410 to 430 well do you carry it around the pocket to you know you know show Luis diaz every once in a while say hey that's kind of thump i had <laughs> no i do i do not try to bring up distance or anything because i see that guy take take balls deep every day and be peeing in the game that are way further than the one i hit so uh and really we have some mammo juice on the team it's fun to watch bp we have some guys going second deck today uh so yeah th- those guys do crazy things but i just i ran into one couple years ago and i'll hold on to that ball forever <laughs> good, good, good for you hey is this you've had some great runs but is this in some ways the best run of your career where you are the first couple of months in a rockies uniform given the fact that you're pitching half your games at altitude i mean you have a minuscule era you have the number one era coming out of the pen all of baseball um it's it's definitely up there i would say the maybe a close close one you know would be in 2019 um Coming back from TJ, just the rehab team, you know, the work we put together, the focus you know, we had was incredible. So huge team effort there. But I came back from TJ and didn't give up a run in all my rehab outings and then came to the big leagues and gave up, you know, one run in 19 pl- innings, including a playoff inning. So that was uh, that was up there with just, you know, looking around, like just making pitches. Stuff was just going right to guys. You know, even when I would get into jams, it'd be like a couple of pitches, like, you know, double play you know it was just like one of those and I, I feel that sometimes here it's just like you know the other day i come in walk the leadoff guy kind of you know kind of missile to center field right to brendan doyle well he covers everything anyway but uh and then next one was the line drive right to tolia for a double play it's just like okay you know I'll, I'll ride this way but i need to pitch better you know uh but it was it's definitely one of those um runs i'm trying to just stay consistent get you know attack my spots um be aggressive out there uh, but the defense is playing great behind us, uh, and I, I really love our bullpen. I've loved our bullpen all year. You know, we have guys stepping up left and right, so it doesn't feel like it's just one guy. Need you know, with the weight on them, even though Bird is throwing probably sixty-seven innings already this year. But uh, you know, Bird, Lawrence, me, Pierce, Brad, Bard, all these, you know, everybody, Peter coming in, stepping up has been awesome. So uh, yeah, it's been a really fun group to be a part of. What do guys tell you? Because you are deceptive and, and all of the advanced metrics suggest that. I mean, low exit velocity, uh, guys don't barrel you. What is it about what you do and what you've done now for a significant period of time that throws guys off? Uh, so I think a couple things. I have a pretty good extension. Uh, so I get out there, uh, release the ball, probably a foot foot and a half closer to the plate than the average so that kind of adds a couple miles hour relative velo at the plate um i i'm really towards the first base side of the rubber and that was something we realized that was huge in my deception you know i mean it helps me hide the ball a little better coming across it kind of gives guys a weird look uh and they everything's coming from a way over to the first base side so it's a very it's it seems like everything's coming from left field instead of from center field uh, which is huge for my deception. Uh, that's something we realized kind of with the Brewers last year in May. I was getting straighter with my delivery than I was in 2019. So we just said, okay, you're straighter, but just move move way over on the rubber. And we did that and had a lot more success last year than we were at the beginning of the year. And then um, with my movement, you know, my four-seam fastball has really weird cut ride to it, uh, which is unique and not, not a lot of guys have that. And uh, my two-seam plays really well off that. It's kind of the same 
vert, but just goes, you know, kind of nine inches, 10 inches this way instead of the four or five uh, cut. And then my changeup is coming along as a good, good swing and miss pitch. My slider is still coming along, but I'm, I'm really like using it against lefties. So I'm really throwing, I'm mixing in pitches uh, really well this year. It's kind of like 30, 30, 30, 10, rather than last year and the year before. It was like 75, 80% four seam, 15% chained up, a little bit of breaking ball, a little bit of sinker uh, mixed in. Instead, now it's just all over the place mixing, uh, which helps got, keeps guys off balance. Being the competitor that you are and also – uh, I'll use this term loosely, you know, almost a relative scientist of, of the art of pitching. The challenge of pitching here at altitude and then you go to sea level and then back, not only what it does to the body, but release points. Um, has that added to your, um, man, this is the, the cool factor. Like, I, I like this math equation that I'm trying to figure out, so to speak. A little bit. I mean, it is a it is a good challenge. You know, I mean, every time coming back here, you feel it in the body a little bit. So you need to get that extra hydration, get that extra sleep focus on nutrition a little bit more but really with uh with my pitching repertoire it comes down to glove side two seamers and like arm side cutters or four seamers move a little bit different so those are the two pitches i try to focus on try to get like recalibrated with the altitude um my slider and changeup still feel relatively similar uh, but it's really that like going against the grain movement with my two seam glove side and my you know four seam arm side that i'm trying to recalibrate every time i come back here and then when we go to sea level recalibrate the other way just to see i can get oh maybe i can release it a couple inches over here and, and still come back in the strike zone which i really you know obviously with those pitches i want ball to strike so uh sea level provides a little bit more you know leeway on that but it's a great challenge of coming here and recalibrating all that um but the other pitches relatively the same profile so it's not too big of a challenge that way but um yeah it is it is a healthy challenge picking pitching up here uh guys will tell you it's it's can be difficult, but I think we have a group that embraces that challenge. Yeah, is it interesting for you now? Late, I don't want to say late in your career. You're not late in your career, but in the midst of your career, you know, you're 30 plus now. Yeah. To you know, to, to have the leadership characteristics to build some, because obviously the Rockies are in, in build mode right yeah. now, as opposed to the club you left. You left the last couple of years was in win now mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, I definitely. That was as soon as I heard it was the Rockies, I was like. I was grateful that they wanted me and then uh, they picked me up. But I was also like, I, c- I think I can really help this team on and off the field. I can be uh, an energy giver, um, help build into these young guys. We got young studs all over the place that, um, you know, a veteran leadership or veteran help advice here and there can really go a long way for these guys because it certainly did for me when I was uh, early on in my big league career. So uh, just trying to pour into those guys, be, always be a resource for them, um, always be available, um, trying to bring – some light to the clubhouse you know i mean not the clubhouse is great uh the team here is the great group of guys as fun and great a group of guys as I've, I've been around uh, it's really really fun to be around but sometimes you know we went on an eight game losing streak last month sometimes that can get heavy a little bit so just trying to bring some laughter and you know, other veterans do a good job of that too uh to the guys is, it can help for sure but um just yeah leadership in the big leagues is, is big uh and i think we have a really good group of veterans in there that care that pour into the young guys um and that want to win um and i I really like this group a lot 
Is that when, uh, to bring levity, you break out the Jim Carrey impersonations, <laughs> Brent? Uh, I bring out some impressions every now and then. I've been doing a little bud, you know, a little, a little bud impression. You know, he's, he's, he's here, and then he's there, and then he's, he's back. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Lately, uh, there's been the levity is Connor Siebel got me this belt. I usually am carrying around three Yetis, uh, you know, because I want to reuse. I don't want to use plastic cups or whatever. So right. I'm doing, like, ice water, uh, supplement water, and then, uh, like, a hot tea or hot coffee. And he'd been seeing me carrying these around, and he goes, you know what, I'm going to give him a belt. So he ordered this, like, cup-carrying satchel belt on Amazon. <laughs> I've been riding around. We're calling it the Mobile Hydration Station. And uh, so that's been, that's been a fun point of levity these last couple of days. It's been, it's been really great. So uh, shout-out to Connor for getting hooking up a teammate. It normally, it's supposed to be the other way around. I'm supposed to be the one getting him gifts. But, he, you know, the rookie got me the gift. That was really cool. I've always said there's a, there's a little too much idle time in baseball. <laughs> the mind can wander. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you see that. <laughs> have you been? Have you uh, passed out the novel, the uh, the Binky Bandit, for, for all of your yep. teammates? I sure did. A couple weeks back, I uh, got a shipment in and signed them all to – uh, the families and all, all that, and even to the guys who didn't have kids, I didn't know what to say. So, like for instance, CJ Crone, I go to the Crone family. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do, and he, he comes up to me. He goes, "Binkster, is this for like my future kids?" <laughs> yeah. So we've been calling each other Binkster since then. But uh, no, I got everybody uh, a copy, and then I think a couple guys have come in since then. Like Carl, I need to get him a copy uh, and all that. But yeah, I, I passed them out a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, I've heard good reviews from the kiddos so far, so that's good. That's good. I mean, for for those that don't know, it's in the James Patterson mode. It's a it's a it's a mystery. It's it's that genre. Actually, I'm making that up. Children's <laughs> book is that something that you always aspired to do? No, not at all. Uh, it was something that just kind of came to me. My dog was destroying my son's binkies when he was younger. I thought, you know what? I could write a fun story about this. We could laugh about it before bedtime as a story. I mentioned that I read it to him before bed in a Milwaukee Magazine cover story article and a publisher from Milwaukee reached out and said, hey, we want to read this story. I was like, sure, here's the Google Doc. And they said, we want to publish the story. I was like, okay, how does this work? So my agent got involved with the contracts and all that. We set it up and a year and a half later, it was coming out. We did like a whole press release, did some readings at schools, did uh, a reading on the dugout and uh, AmFam Field up there in Milwaukee. And uh, it was a great, fun time. And now I'm a published author, I guess. So it's been it's been really a fun little surprise. Uh, it's been a it's been a cool thing. Good deal. Hey, last stop. You're in Colorado, the mountains, the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Have you had uh, Have you had an off day to be able to explore it all? You know, I um, I have not explored the mountains yet. I've been so when we played in Colorado Springs, we went to the mountains a lot. You know, the Pikes Peak. We drove up there, did the incline, Guardians of the Gods, all that stuff. Uh, but there are a couple. My family's coming out here in, in a week and a half, two weeks. So we're gonna do on off days. We're gonna go out there. Um, Boulder, we got to do uh, maybe Idaho Springs, maybe some other like cool little day trips where it's less, you know, an hour or less drive. Uh, but really excited to get up there. It's beautiful. I love looking at them on the way to the park. It's amazing. So I can't wait to explore them up here, but have not been in the mountains yet. Brent, appreciate the time. Continued success and, uh, and keep, uh, keep embracing life the way you do, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Fun guy, Brent Suter. Um, he is a guy that does impersonations. You heard the Jim Carrey impersonation. You couldn't see him facially. Uh, he may be even better facially with uh, trying to characterize and impersonate Jim Carrey than the verbal side. He's, he's pretty spot on on the verbal side. Funny guy, uh, clubhouse leader, and uh, great executor of 
pitches and keeping hitters off balance. A couple other notes before we get on out of here. Brooks Kepka wins the PGA. That's his fifth major. It doesn't matter what Brooks Kepka does. Now he's on the live tour. I know that. Whatever. In the past, in between the majors, you never talked about Brooks Kepka. It seemed like he he may play other events, but he was rarely in contention. I think he's only won other four other times on the PGA Tour. He's actually won more majors than he's won PGA Tour titles that aren't majors. But if it's a major, if it's the U.S. Open, if it's the PGA, if it's the British, if it's the Masters, Kepka's going to be in contention or win it. It's amazing. It really is. And he needs to be on the Ryder Cup team that goes to Europe later this year. Not going to get into all the politics of live versus the PGA, but if you're sending your best team, your best team for the United States has to include Brooks Kepka. I want to mention that. Hockey, Carolina, making their way. Southern teams, all about Southern teams, right? But anyhow, um, you know, Carolina looks great. In the in the West, did you see that ugly incident? Jamie Benn, captain of the Dallas Stars, respected guy, going after Mark Stone, captain of, of Vegas very early in the game, cross-checked him and then cross-checked him in the head while he was down on the ice. Uh, that was assault. There's no place for that in sport. And I admire the hell out of the code in the NHL, how tough those guys are, the injuries they play with. We talked about it a few weeks ago, that guy who had 75 stitches, misses a couple of shifts and comes back and scores a goal in the third period. I mean, it, it's just crazy. Uh, we, we see this, especially in the playoffs every year, guys take a slap shot off their ankle and you come to find out later on they were playing with a, you know, a broken bone in said ankle. Love the toughness. Admire the toughness. Appreciate the toughness. I don't appreciate and can't approve of absolute thuggery where you're trying to hurt someone. There's no place for that. And what Jamie Benn did, no place for it. Absolutely no place for it. Last thing on my mind, and that's because I had to make, as as we all do on a semi-regular basis, I had to call one of those you know, 1-800 numbers to get a hold of your banking institution or your credit card company, your cable provider, or your energy company, right? We've all been there countless times. And you'd rather have somebody, you know, pluck your eyebrows out. It is painful. First of all, it takes you a good 10 minutes to talk to a human being. I'll admit, I've sworn... Uh, uh, on those recordings, and they're they're all recorded, right? I don't know if anybody ever listens, but if they do, they hear me swear every once in a while, and it's like, give me an effing person, please. And you've done it too. You know you have. You've done it too. That's first. Number two is, while you're on interminable hold, they play music. Well, they call it music, right? Where do they come up with these tunes. Who who says, oh, this will be soothing for our clients that we care so greatly about to listen to while they're on interminable hold? Come on. who's? It's like they're somebody's having 
a grand old time at our expense. I think it's like the same person or same group of people for every company. They go, this is the worst music someone could listen to. We are going to have two people that will answer the phone, even though we expect to get 10,000 calls today. So we'll put people on hold for, you know, hours at a time. Oh, my goodness. That put me in a bad mood. So much so that I had to uh, mention it to you. But I hope uh, this show put you in a good mood. Great to hear from uh, Brent Suter. Great to talk about uh, the Nuggets as they embark on winning an NBA championship. A lot of fun these uh, days in the uh, old Rocky Mountains. Uh, We'll do it again in seven days. Thanks, as always, uh, for joining us on our little program and uh, spreading the word as well. Take care. Stay safe, everyone. Talk to you soon.